Welcome to the Apprentice One to One podcast. I'm your host, Mark Allison, and on tonight's episode, we are going to look in particular at the AM2 um, assessment and what you can do to help yourself in preparation for that. Um, so, we're going to start off right at the beginning by mentioning the um, podcast I did the other week with Darren Ertz from uh, NET, and he came on and spoke about um, some of the myths to do with the AM2 and its assessment. Um, and he did reference some of these things that we're going to talk about in tonight's podcast, which has kind of prompted me following on from the inspection and testing series um, that we've done to now now look at this. And again, this is going to be in audio format only. I'm not going to release this as a video. So you can uh, ideally listen to it while you're out on site. And I'm going to say right at the very start that if you are preparing for your AM2 and you're going for that endpoint assessment, the place to, to look, as Darren told us, is netservices.org.uk so if you just google um, net net and then am2 they'll come up right at the top of the google search anyway um, but on that website it kind of explains the process um, it gives you direction in what you need to be doing as the candidate and it also has some help and advice on there as well and i know that um, net have done quite a lot in improving this this web presence that they've got and just looking around on it myself tonight, I'm, I'm pretty impressed actually with the changes that have been made to this um, website over the last few years. Um, so it's well worth checking out. And the page I've gone to to start all this off is the, the AM2 page. Uh, and it basically says that AM2 should be taken by electrotechnical apprentices who are training against the apprenticeship framework. So hopefully that's most of the people listening to this pod, uh, podcast. So those undertaking the JIB uh, JIB Mature Candidate Assessment and those following the Level 3 NVQ who are not apprentices um, are also um, applicable to this as well so it's for them also. So apprentices who are enrolled onto the apprenticeship standard should undertake the AM2S assessment. So if you are undertaking the apprenticeship standard you need to be carrying out AM2S and we'll talk a little bit more about that um, later on. So the AM2 assessment is broken down into sections and we'll speak about what they are in a minute. You're going to be watched by an assessor and it says on the website that that can seem intimidating. It definitely can, but hopefully lots of you are used to that to a point. We've been um, monitored at first by your employers and then your lecturers and then your assessor out on site. So you're familiar with the process of somebody watching what you're doing and observing you carrying out work. So you need to approach it like that. It's just another person who wants to see um, how you do things and make sure you know what you're doing at the end of the day. Um, and I'm going to talk as well about the length of time allocated to complete each section. And it does say you'll be given additional time to read the instructions and prepare before starting the test. So you do get some time to read these things before you actually have to start them. Uh, and what we're going through now, as it says on the website, it's just an overview. So if you're close to taking your AM2 assessment and you want more detail, uh, if you're on the website, there's some headings below that give you kind of step-by-step -step guides to each section. So you can download the readiness for assessment checklist. There's a pre-assessment manual and there's some top tips videos. And we're going to look at a couple of those things on this podcast episode as well. Um, but they are on there. So if you go on the website, you can click on those links and it'll walk you through it. And it's direct from the horse's mouth rather than via me on this podcast. So I recommend after you've listened to this, you go off and, and do that. Um, and it says here, a note about AM2 prep courses. So this is important, I think. And it says here that NET and its licensed centres do not support, endorse or recommend any AM2 or AM2S prep courses. So it says here, providing you've been able to complete your checklist with confidence that you have the skills and knowledge needed for each area of their assessment, then the resources provided above will be sufficient for you to prepare. So there are those uh, things out there where you can go and pay to do a, a prep course for your AM2, and whilst there might be nothing wrong with that, is what NET are actually saying, that if you've completed the checklist and you followed the help and advice on this website, you can potentially save yourself some money if you're prepared in the right way and um, go straight in for it. So it says here about the AM2 section detail, so section A1, it's to do with safe isolation and risk assessments, and that's a 45-minute section. So you need to be able to demonstrate that you can carry out a safe isolation procedure in the correct sequence to ensure safety of not only yourself, but everyone else on the site. And you'll also undertake and document an assessment of any risks to safety that may pre 
uh, be present. And again, if you're on the website, you can click to find out more about that as well. So it does expand further. I'm just kind of reading the headlines to these. Um, section A is the composite installation and you get eight and a half hours for that. So this is one of the um, super important things to this. You must read your specifications. So following the diagrams and instructions you're given, you'll prepare, install, connect and terminate conductors, uh, TP and N distribution board and equipment outlets to industry standards. To complete this section, you must demonstrate occupational competence in accordance with statutory and non-statutory regulations and approved industry working practices. And again, you can tap that to find out more, but that's basically making sure that you're installing in a way that meets the um, regulations and guidance notes. So you need to make sure you're reading your specification and using all of the skills and knowledge you've built up through the course of your apprenticeship to install it in a safe way. And, and again, we'll, we'll come back to that further on in the podcast. But just to mention it there, that that's section A, and that's eight and a half hours. So that's a, a large part of the AM2. Section B is the inspection, testing, and certification. And I know this is one of the areas that you've all kind of been worried about, certainly in the Instagram community, and that's what's prompted me to do the last um, few podcast episodes that we've popped out there. And um, hopefully this one kind of follows on from that and helps as well. Um, but basically it says during this section, so this is section B, you'll carry out a visual inspection of your installation, complete a series of tests following practices and procedures that take into account electrically sensitive equipment. You can change any part of your installation that you find is incorrect or not complete. So it says there you can change any part of your installation that you find is incorrect or not complete. So if you've done the, the composite installation, your inspection, testing and certification um, finds that there's something that's incorrect or not complete, you can change it. So that's important to know. And if you go onto the NET website, you can uh, see that, expand on that box uh, and read more about it. And, and that's applicable in the real world. So if you've done an installation and then when you are inspecting, testing and certifying it, you find a problem. That's the whole purpose of doing it. It's to find those mistakes that people will make, those things that have gone wrong and correct them. You know, we're not after perfection when we're carrying out installation works. Um, certainly in the real world, whilst you need to be making sure you maintain those safe working practices, uh, mistakes can happen um, and you can do things wrong. But as long as you identify them as part of the whole process, they can be put right. And this is saying that within AM2, that also is, is applicable. But again, go onto the website um, read that yourself. I've just literally parrot read it from the website and uh, expand on that and see um, what you make of that. And again, section C1 is to do with safe isolation and that's 30 minutes. And this is the second safe isolation test and it covers three specific scenarios. The replacement of single phase equipment, three phase equipment and the isolation of the distribution board. And again, it says tap to find out more. So there's another section on safe isolation which lasts 30 minutes and again that's referencing back to the importance of safe working practices. So that's taken up a large part of the AM2 when it's um, kind of factored in with section A1 right at the start. So section C2 is another one that people often um, can get bogged down and worried about and that certainly seems to be some of the messages coming through to me and that's to do with fault diagnosis and rectification. That's a two hour section, so that's section C2. And it says from information provided, you'll identify faults in a circuit. You'll need to record the type of fault and its specific location, then recommend how each fault could be corrected, including any works needed to prove the fault has been rectified. And again, we've kind of talked about that in the episodes leading up to this to do with um, testing inspection and the dead testing. And that's the things that will aid you in finding these faults, being able to identify them and then um, recommending how each fault can be corrected. But again, familiarize yourself on the website, go and have a look, um, click that box and see what you can see for yourself. We're gonna speak a little bit more about it in this podcast, but it's you, know, you need to be looking at these things yourself as well. Uh, section D is the assessment of applied knowledge, and that's a one hour section. And this is basically an online test consisting of 30 multiple choice questions designed to assess your knowledge of the health and safety regulations, building regs, and the wiring regs, BS7671. So make sure you revise these. And you need to answer 21 of those questions correctly in order to pass. Um, so you know, that's a, a key thing to remember whilst you've got all the worries about the practical assessment, there is also a multi-choice exam of sorts at the end. Um, 
so if we just jump back to the um, inspection, testing and certification section B, because I know that is one of the areas that a lot of people are worried about. It says here you have a, a minimum of 20 minutes to read this section and prepare for, prepare, prepare for the assessment. The section is going to be observed by the centre assessor and you'll be provided with the following documents. So you get given a copy of the regs, uh, guidance note 3, which we've been referencing in our little series, and the IET on-site guide. And it says here you need to demonstrate occupational competence, carry out a visual inspection of your installation, and complete the following tests. So the continuity of protective conductors, including humane and supplementary bonds, and we covered that on the, the podcast uh, earlier on in this little series. Same with your continuity of ring final circuit conductors, then your IR insulation resistance testing, your polarity, your earth fault loop impedance tests, uh, your additional protection, so that's effectiveness of RCDs, prospective fault current, and then the check of phase sequences and your functional testing. So it says here you also need to correctly complete an electrical installation certificate, a schedule of inspections and a schedule of test results using the documentation provided. And I kind of referenced that in the last episode of this little mini podcast series, as well as knowing how to do all these things. So how to do your inspection and testing and, and how to do your installation. You absolutely do need to know how to document it. If you can't, then you're not going to pass this. So you need to make sure you put a bit of time into filling a few practice test sheets in. If you've not been doing it at college or had chance to do any at work, make sure you get some of the model forms out of guidance note three and give them a fill in, work your way through them. You know, the test sheet itself is quite logical. Rick mentioned that on the podcast he came on, that it kind of, lead, kind of leads you through the tests in the right order. So it says here, um, you'll be expected to follow practice and procedures that consider the presence of voltage-sensitive equipment. So you need to be aware of stuff that you might be damaging and the process of your testing. So that in particular, that's going to be when you're doing your insulation resistance tests. So have that in your mind. It says faults and alterations. This is what we kind of glanced over earlier but it says during and within the time allowed for this section you may correct any part of your installation that you decide is incorrect or not complete so again just to reference back onto that during your um, eight and a half hour installation if you're testing find something that's not right you've got time within your uh, three and a half hour inspection testing and, and certification section to put that right and that's kind of a reflection of real world acceptance that mistakes can be made and as long as we pull them out in the whole process of what we're doing then uh, we're all good so that's important to know and just to again reference onto the um, the documents that uh, we kind of spoke about you do get given copies of the document um, to use whilst you're at the centre so you don't have to take your own publications um, in with you so the centre assessor should provide you at relevant times throughout your assessment, a copy of the wiring regs, so BS7671, uh, guidance note three, which is your inspection and testing, the IET on-site guide, the IET electrician's guide to the building regs, and your candidate manual. So you, you should be given copies of those when you need them. You don't need to take all that stuff in, in with you. And if you go onto the NET website, there is what's called the pre-assessment manual uh, for your AM2. And that's actually just been updated in February uh, 2021. And that kind of walks you through um, what it actually means. So it says here, the assessment's compulsory for apprentices, adult trainees, or upskilling workers who seek to gain industry-recognized recognized qualified status to demonstrate they have knowledge and competence in the following key areas. And then it basically goes through everything we've just spoken about on the, the sections. Um, so I'm not going to reread through all of that, but it says the pre-assessment manual is designed to help candidates prepare for their upcoming assessment. So in this document, you'll need to be um, able to read details on each section of the assessment, some common areas where candidates fail and how to address this and general hints and tips. So, you know, this is this document's going to help you. It's well worth going to check out. It's 13 pages long. It's not uh, a huge thing to read through and it could really make the difference between your passing and failing. So go and check it out on the netservices.org.uk website and um, your first it says here are you ready for the assessments that's them asking you that question and it says your first part of call should be the next candidate self-assessment checklist and it's a compulsory document we recommend that you use this well in advance of your assessment as part of an honest review of your readiness 
and to identify areas where further training or experience may be required. So the checklist will show you everything you should have learned before going into the assessment. Read through it, make sure you have done it. It's your employer's and training provider's responsibility to make sure you've covered everything on the list. So they should go through it with you and help identify any areas of concern. So you can ask your college lecturer and your employer to help you fill that in, take their opinion on it. Um, don't just try and tell yourself you're fantastic and fill everything in um, in a way that's maybe through rose-tinted glasses. Be real, be honest. If you're not ready, then you need to put some more work in so you are. It's no good trying to kid yourself um, because you'll get found out when you do your AM2. There's no way around that. So make sure you do be honest with yourself. Uh, so it says here, before you attend, common sense can desert the best of us when under pressure. So in the run-up to the assessment, it might be helpful to consider the following things. And some of this might seem really straightforward and you know, a bit stupid. But they're saying here, get a good night's sleep the night before. Yeah, try that one. If you're nervous for an AM2 been there you know it's easy to say in it yeah get a good night's rest uh, often not that straightforward um, make sure you know exactly where the test center is and how to get there so that's a good tip don't want to be late uh, mobile phones smart watches mp3 players and electronic devices are not allowed in the assessment area so if you have these you're going to need to hand them in at the beginning of the assessment and they'll be signed out at the end of each day so you can take them with you but you're not going to be allowed to keep them on your person it says here that when you go for your induction, um, before starting the assessment, the centre assessor will brief you on the assessment centre's health and safety. So there is an induction process, and then it talks about the documents that they will give you. Um, it says here also some additional documents could be provided, so a risk assessment, um, a wiring regs, uh, electrical installation certificate, which we spoke about, and some fault symptom information. So they're not going to just send you in blind to everything. Um, and it says here to brush up on these for your theory. So there's also a theory element of the assessment, so don't forget this. So you need to be up to speed on four different guides. The building regs, not just part P, but any of the regs that might impact an electrical installation. So be aware of those. And the current edition of the wiring regs, so that should be a 767118th edition at the minute. The on-site guide and the IET guidance note 3. Make sure you revise these carefully. And I've tried to help a bit with guidance note 3 by running through the test processes with you i've been referencing that in the little discussion we've had on the podcast uh, obviously not reciting it as a, an audio book because i would get my ass sued but i've been um, referencing it in my opinions and thoughts on inspection and testing to try and keep it nailed on to that so you can follow it through with your own copy of that book I recommend you get yourself one if you haven't already the other center is going to provide you one if you can um, get that nailed you're a large way um, to bin just fine while you do your am2 it says here to know your paperwork. Make sure you're confident in completing an electrical uh, installation certificate. So, you know, I've already said that a few times now. It's really important that you can actually get what you're doing down on paper, uh, that your measured results conform to the requirements of BS7671. So you need to know what all of the numbers mean that you're measuring. It's not just a case of, oh, well, every time I do it, it comes up at that. So that's what I put in. You know, you need to make sure you understand what you're actually seeing. And I did try and reference that on the podcast when we've been talking about um, low values of resistance when we're doing our continuity measurements and then high values of resistance when we're doing our IR testing, for example, and how some of those values of resistance can then be um, factored in when we're doing some of our live measurements, so our effort loop impedance measurements. Um, you do need to be confident completing a schedule of inspections. I did speak through that on the last episode. We'll maybe go through another schedule of inspections as well to do with an EICR maybe later on in this series because that is such a big part of the forms and it, it can be a bit overwhelming if you're not used to filling them in. Uh, the actual schedule of test results isn't too bad, I don't think, because as Rick said, that kind of leads you through in the order you need to record your results and, and it is laid out in a reasonable way. So hopefully you can all familiarise yourself with that and that'll be one of the things that doesn't catch you out. They then say to follow the specification and that has an exclamation mark after it. So a fundamental aspect of the industry competence test is being able to follow a specification. So even if your work's safe and it meets the standard, if you haven't actually followed what the specification's asked for, you will not pass. So you need to make sure you take some time to read that, understand what they want you to do, and then do it. So it's basically showing that you can work from a specification. So it says in your assessment area, the following documents are displayed. So there will be health and safety information, fire procedures, risk assessments, schematic and wiring diagrams for the electrical installation, 
and functional operation flowcharts. It says here that after carrying out inspection and testing, the centre assessor will supervise you in functional testing of all final circuits and the connected components and equipment. So you should carefully read all assessment instructions, study the diagrams and information provided, and use the information throughout the assessment. If you do not understand any of these instructions, the centre assessor can provide further explanation. So you know, you're going to get some key instruction there, and it says of your responsibilities that you should bring to the attention of the assessor any materials or equipment you consider are damaged or unsuitable. You're responsible for your own safety and the safety of others who may be affected by your work. Now, I've had people say to me that when they've gone to their AM2 test centre, they've been given tools that are blunt, for example, or, um, you know, where they don't have the full insulation on them, they're kind of old and worn. So if you're finding that and you're not happy with it, make sure you tell the assessor about it. There is absolutely nothing wrong with you saying you're not happy with the equipment you've been given to use. This is your endpoint assessment. It's your chance to show what you can do. If they're giving you a load of crap to do it and it's not fit for use, then you make sure you tell them and get some gear in your hands that is. Uh, so you're allowed to do that. So it says here the assessment contains the following sections and we've spoken about them already, so I'm not going to uh, go into any detail of them, but you've got your safe working practices, the composite installation, your inspection and testing, safe isolation of circuits, fault diagnosis, and then assessment of applied knowledge, so your multiple choice exam. Uh, and it says when you finish the section, you cannot return to that section and any time left will not be available for other sections. So make, the, you make as much use out of all the time you can that you've got because you can't carry it forward. So if you're finding you've finished a section in good time, go back over what you've done, double and triple check things. Don't just sit there or say you've finished and move on unless you're absolutely 100% happy that you are, you know, done. And then it goes on to talk about each section. So this is within the um, the pre-assessment manual and it expands on what we spoke about right at the beginning of this section. Um, so it says here with your safe isolation procedure, it's very important as if this is not done correctly on site, it could result in someone getting electric shock and in the worst case, death. <laughs> They're laying it on thick there right at the beginning. So you get 10 minutes to read the section and prepare for that assessment and then it's a 45 minute uh, section. So you need to identify your point of isolation, inform the customer that you're going to be isolating the supply, uh, operate the isolator, lock it off and fit your warning notice, select your approved test equipment, prove that it's working, test it on the outgoing side uh, of an isolator for all combinations. So that's L1 and L2, L1 and L3, L1 and neutral, L1 and earth, L2 and L3, L2 and neutral, L2 and earth, L3 and neutral, L3 and earth, and then neutral and earth off the top of my head. So make sure you check that and make sure that you do follow that correctly uh, and then reprove that your test equipment is working. So it's important to check after you've done all of that that you then prove the instrument is still working. Uh, it says here you'll need to carry out a review of safe working practices and undertake a risk assessment in accordance with organisational requirements and procedures prior to commencing the composite installation and record the findings on the relevant documentation. So hopefully you're familiar with your risk assessment and stuff through the course of your um, apprenticeship but it goes on within the um, pre-assessment manual to kind of tell you what to expect in there and I'm not going to sit and parrot read through all of that because it's, it's quite a lot in there but if you go and have a look it'll tell you what you need to be doing during your risk assessment so this will familiarize yourself with the whole process if you go and read this you'll be well versed in what to expect uh, and it says here some of the common errors and it's um, candidates have not demonstrated the correct procedure of safe isolation so make sure you test all of your comp combinations and they've referenced a 10 point test and it says make sure you're not testing at the wrong position on the switch so that you are um, testing in the right places so make sure you do that and it says candidates do not prove test equipment before and after safe isolation so don't forget that Candidates do not locate the key in a secure place, and Rick mentioned this, do not put the key on top of the consumer unit or somewhere where someone else has access to it. Put it in your pocket, keep it on your person, do not let anyone else have access to it. And then it says candidates do not fit the warning notices. So just because you think you're in a test environment and people know that you're kind of working through your AM2, that's not the point, you need to be doing things properly, so get your warning notices on there as well. So that's some of the common errors. Uh, then it goes on to talk about your composite installation and you get 15 minutes to read the section and prepare. And it, it tells you kind of what roughly you're going to be asked to do, but basically um, you need to interpret drawings and, dra 
drawings and diagrams, uh, prepare, install, connect and terminate conductors and cables to industry standards, uh, terminate and connect to a, a three-phase distribution board and, uh, identi and uh, the identified equipment outlets as detailed in the candidate manual and diagrams, and install and bend conduit systems. And I think that is um, PVC conduit, not steel conduit, but do check that because I might not be right, um, but I do believe that's the case. It says, to complete the section of the assessment, you must demonstrate occupational competence uh, in accordance with statutory and non-statutory regs and approved industry working practices. And it then goes on to kind of tell you what some of the common errors are. So this is in a big section. Um, and it has a few things listed in there, so they're well worth reading, but it says candidates do not install the circuits in accordance with the wiring regs, so you're not following the requirements of BS7671, which will mean the installation cannot be certified. Uh, candidates do not select the correct type of protective device, so make sure you're putting the right protective device in. Candidates do not select the correct size and type of circuit conductors. Uh, candidates do not sufficiently tighten glands or clamps, so that's making sure that you're using good working methods and practices. Candidates do not sufficiently secure conductors in terminals. So if a conductor can be pulled out of a connection between finger and thumb, it would be deemed as loose. Uh, so you need to, to check. And again, going back to the glands and clamps, if they can be undone by hand, they're not deemed to be tight enough. Candidates do not correctly identify conductors. So you need to identify what conductors are being used for. And that's as per chapter 51 in the wiring regs. Candidates uh, remove too much insulation increasing the risk of electrical contract uh, contact or uh, not enough to make an effective electrical connection. So if the terminal screw is on the insulation, for example, or if excessive insulation is removed, you um, you know you could get contact with live conductors. So when viewing a connection at 90 degrees, you should not see any copper. It's a basic rule of thumb. Uh, circuits are not connected in a way to ensure effective functional operation, so the circuit won't work. Uh, candidates do not ensure effective segregation of extra low voltage and low voltage cables. So ELF cables must be in different compartment of trunking to low voltage cables. So that's a basic thing that some people might not be aware of. You've got to get your cables in the right parts of the trunking. Then it goes on to talk about inspection and testing, and we spoke about this one uh, already earlier in the podcast. Um, you know, so we won't go over that one again. But you get 20 minutes to read the section and prepare, and then work through it. Uh, and again if you've made a mistake in the, the build and you find it you can put it right but we will read the common errors because this is um, you know quite an important one so candidates do not prepare the instrument for use or set it to the correct range so you need to select the correct function or voltage remember to null your leads and check the meters in date and safe to use so just because you're in an approved test center doing your AM2 don't just assume all of those things check it candidates do not carry out the test in accordance with guidance note 3 and that's why we've been referencing guidance note 3 in this little series because that's what all of this is based on so make sure that the tests you're doing are um, to guidance note 3 not what you've seen on youtube or in other reference material so say don't take shortcuts that you've been shown on site these may not be correct no absolutely don't do that there are lots of shortcuts to inspection and testing that other people will swear by to do a job quicker doesn't matter not when you're doing your AM2 anyway, do it as per in the book. Uh, follow the way you've been shown in college. If you remember something and need to go back and repeat a test, that's fine. So you may then to need to repeat any other test that is dependent on the test of the one you've repeated. So I don't know, say for example, you've um, gone through your dead tests, gone on to do your um, loop test and realise, actually, I'm not happy with how I've done that. I want to go back and do um, the dead test again. You can't just go back and do that one and then carry on with where you were. You've got to kind of start again. So remember that you can go back, but you must repeat it all uh, again. Uh, what else have we got here? Uh, to ensure you've tested the whole circuit. So remember on lighting circuits to operate your switches. So again, if you've got two-way switching or uh, intermediate switches, throw them over to all different uh, orientations and make sure that you get the, the test results based on that. And that's the same for other circuits operated by isolators or contactors. Uh, it then says candidates do not record the test results. So this can happen when someone carries out testing and records the results on scrap paper and they can't find it at the end. Really basic stuff, but it, it does happen. So make sure that you're recording the results in the right places as you go, then you've got them, they can't go missing, done. Uh, fill in the schedule of test results as you complete each test. That's basically what they're saying, but in uh, posher words. 
Candidates do not verify the test results obtained against their eggs, so the results need to be compared with maximum values to check if they're within the range allowed, so you need to have knowledge of what your um, anticipated values of um, R1, R2, for example, would be, what your maximum ZSCs are allowed on the protected devices, uh, your insulation resistance measurements to know that if they're above minimum acceptable standards. And it says here, you may know the maximum values, but to prove this, they need to be documented on the schedule of test results. So that's speaking about uh, your ZS, for example, if you, you need to document what the actual maximum value allowed is, and you've got a copy of the regs there. So familiarize yourself with those numbers before you go in, because um, usually the protective devices they give you are fairly common, and you can have a, a good feeling in your mind of what those numbers should be anyway, but reference the regs to make sure you get the right numbers in the right places. It says here, candidates do not complete BS7671 inspection and testing documentation correctly and accurately. So the test documents are legal documents and need to be completed correctly. And again, we spoke about this already, but there are templates in the on-site guide and guidance note three showing you how to complete these documents if you're unsure. So get your guidance note three copy out, have a look, see how they're filled in. Um, when you actually look at the whole thing as, as, as a completed document, you can think, bloody hell, there's a lot of stuff in there. There's loads of places to get tripped up. But when you break it out into these small little sections, it's really not that bad. Um, so don't be overawed with the whole thing. Just break it down into lots of small little jobs. Accurately fill it in and you'll be fine. Um, so it says here, you may test correctly, but if the documentation is not correct, the testing would not be proven as correct. So you might have gone through the whole sequence of tests absolutely spot on, but if you aren't able to record that right, you know, might as well not have bothered because it's not right, is it? You've not done the whole thing correctly. It says here, candidates do not verify that the installed circuits and equipment function as intended. So checking that the installation works as required before handing it over is important. If the installation did not function, this would require revisits by someone to correct the work, damage your reputation and the reputation of the company you work for. So um, if you've done all of the safe working practices, you've installed everything and your test results have come back um, in, in a good way, but you haven't actually function tested it and there's, there's something silly that's making something not work, um, you know that's not going to cut it so make sure that what you've done is actually working as in uh, instructed in the specification so it says here candidates do not reinstate connections correctly so connections might have to be disconnected while carrying out your testing that most definitely will be so it's important to ensure that they're secure after testing is complete and the effectiveness of your connections are assessed after you've completed testing so again that'll be the tug test make sure you get everything in nice and tight so you're not going to be slipping up with that one and then it goes on to talk about the safe isolation of circuits, which is another safe isolation procedure. Uh, you get five minutes to read and prepare for that one. Uh, basically, it wants you to carry out safe isolation in a correct sequence based on the following tasks. And one is to replace a single phase piece of equipment. The other one is to replace a three phase piece of equipment. And the, the final one is to isolate a distribution board uh, in your fault diagnosis bay. And it says some of the errors here is that candidates have not demonstrated the correct procedure for safe isolation. So again, make sure you know what that is. Uh, candidates don't prove the test equipment. Uh, candidates don't put the key in a secure place. Don't fit warning notices. Candidates turn off other circuits. And candidates do not check switches on the circuit. So always check if the isom isolated is the isom isolated or just turned off. Check any switches to ensure the item is not just switched off. So it's really important. Then it goes on to talk about the fault diagnosis and rectification. You get five minutes again to read that one, and then it's a two-hour section. Uh, you need to identify a fault in each circuit from the information provided by, by the centre assessor. State and record for the faults, the type of each fault. So if it's a short or open circuit fault, high resistance or misconnection. So that's dead short, uh, open circuit, high resistance, or uh, your polarity issue of some description. Uh, the specific location of each fault, so between what two points, or what piece of equipment. So when you've located the fault, you know you've got to be able to tell them where it is, uh, how each fault could be rectified, and any additional works required to prove the faults are rectified. So you know you just need to say how you'd fix it basically, uh, and additional works to prove that it's been rectified. So it says some of the kind of the common errors. Candidates do not correctly identify the faults, so the location of the fault should be specific, i.e. between point 1 and point 2. If you were sent to repair a circuit, would you just replace the damaged piece of cable or rewire the whole circuit? Therefore, you need to identify the exact location of the fault. The type of the fault should be described as if you were talking to another electrician. 
So basically, if you found a dead short, for example, on a radial circuit, you can't just say, oh, there's a dead short in that circuit. You've got to say um, there's a dead short in that circuit between that socket and that socket, for example, or um, that light point and that light switch. Wherever it may be, you need to hunt it down and get it to between two specific pieces of equipment. It says here, candidates do not record a correct method for rectifying the faults. So what would you do to repair the fault? And also, how would you check that your repair was successful? So they're not going to ask you to repair it, um, but they are going to ask you how you would repair it and then how you would prove it's re repaired, essentially. So make sure you know how to actually fix these things. Then they're going to look at the assessment of applied knowledge, which you get five minutes to prepare for, and it's an hour long, and you've got 30 multi-choice questions. And if you're used to doing those kind of things in, in college, um, you'll be well versed in it. Um, basically, it's going to check your knowledge to do with health and safety, wiring regs and building regs. And you will be given copies of the wiring regs, IT guidance note 3, the on-site guide and the electrician's guide to the building regs. But you're not allowed any other documents. So you've got those books there with you to reference. So familiarise yourself with them. Um, you know, and you'll be okay on those ones. Common errors, it says candidates do not understand how to access information in the wiring regs. So you need to learn how to navigate it. Um, understand the layout of the chapters and parts, understand how to use the index, and um, you know navigate the, the book. It, it sounds like that's such a stupid thing to say, but if you're not used to finding your way through the wiring regs, believe me, it can be complicated to just walk into a test centre having never opened it before and think you can just go in the index and search for whatever it is you're looking for. That is not how that book works. You need to have a good idea of the parts, and we've spoken about those on the podcast before the chapters and um, using the index to access all of that information and unlock the book. It says here that candidates do not understand the requirements of building regs, so you need to um, practice finding items from the building regs, understand what building regs apply to uh, electrical installations, it's not just part P, and make sure um, you know where you're at with that. And you do get a copy of the electrician's guide to building regs while you're in there, and most of what you need is going to be in that book. And it says results and feedback on completion of your assessment. You'll not be given any direct feedback or indication of the results by talking to the assessor. The net system will provide you with your results five days after the assessor has completed the marking. And if you're unsuccessful, the results emailed to you will give you general feedback statement of how you did, uh, how you did not meet the criteria for the sections in question. It will provide you with specific marking detail, but the general feedback statement will give you an indication of where further training or improvement may be required before you resit the exam. And that is unable to provide specific marking detail as the assessment marking criteria must remain confidential. So essentially they're not wanting to give people a how-to on how to pass these things by giving too much feedback in where you went wrong. Then there's some frequently asked questions, um, which I'm not going to run through, but you might want to read those yourselves. If you have some of the questions, just to pick a couple of examples, it says how can I book an assessment reset? Um, can I do a pre-assessment training course? How much does an assessment reset cost? And things like that. So I'm not going to go into those. But we will have a look at the um, uh, AM2S checklist. So these are called the self-assessment checklists. And these need to be completed by the candidate um, with input from your employer and training provider. And, and again, it's asking on the front of here for your candidate name, your national insurance number, and your unique learner number. So this document's compulsory as part of doing your AM2S, and it states that in the important information section. It helps all parties thoroughly review whether an individual has the required knowledge and experience to undertake the test. And if gaps are identified, getting the right training and experience in place before you put yourself forward for it. And it does say a checklist is to be completed by the candidate with input from the employer and training provider. So it's a three-way discussion, and Darren mentioned that on the podcast episode he appeared, appeared on, that it's not just you filling it in in um, rose-tinted glasses, you need to fill it in honestly yourself with honest input from your employer and your lecturer. Uh, it does say here that bear in mind you're unlikely to be sufficiently prepared to pass the assessment if you cannot confidently tick at least adequate on every statement in terms of both knowledge and practical experience. And the AM2S Electrotechnical Endpoint Assessment is designed for those who wish to practice either as an installation electrician or a maintenance electrician. Demonstrates they have the level of competence expected by the industry in the following key occupational areas, and we've spoke about them already, and we've spoke about some of the um, things you're going to have to do within the assessments. I'm going to skip all those parts 
um, there. But it says here, using the checklist, please write through sections A to E. Tick the boxes that best suit your knowledge and experience in each area. Once this task is complete, identify areas where further knowledge or experience is needed before the candidate can undertake the assessment. Remember that you're unlikely to be sufficiently prepared to pass the assessment if you cannot confidently tick at least adequate. So that's getting it right up front in the in the main part there. And then it kind of leads you through the sections. So it says here, section A1, safe isolation. And there's only two things in there to, to answer. And you've got a selection of four responses to these based on knowledge. So that's your theory side of things and um, your experience, so your practical abilities. And you can answer limited, adequate, which is the minimum you need if you want to put yourself forward for AM2 extensive and then your final option is unsure so that's if you don't really know um, on that particular one where you're at and you might want to take a bit of input from some other people to, to see what they think but the first one is carry out and document uh, an assessment of risk so what's your knowledge on that have you been through a few of these things in theory uh, is that limited adequate extensive and then in practice have you filled them in before uh, out on site or even just playing around at home so you know you know based on a, a set scenario so answer that one if it would be limited, adequate, extensive or unsure. And then carry out safe isolation in the correct sequence. So you should all be making yourselves familiar with safe isolation. It's really, really important. AM2 builds on everything that you should have been getting told in college and by your employers. We always work safe, make sure everything's dead. You don't want to become dead. If you've not um, listened to Louise Taggart, Michael's story, go and do it. If anyone you're around is working live and it's some sort of bravado and laughing subject, they want to think again, safe isolation will keep you alive. Make sure you do it. It's not just for passing your training. It is forever. So, yeah, that's number two on that one anyway. Uh, carry out safe isolation, and I'd expect you all on the knowledge to be ticking extensive and the um, experience extensive as well. Get practicing at home. Nick some of the lockout kits from your boss and ask him if you can borrow them or her, if you can borrow them for the night and uh, get used to fitting them onto circuit breakers and such. Then your section A, the composite in installation. Uh, this section has areas where candidates will need to demonstrate occupational competence in accordance with the statutory and non-statutory regs. And again, it's the same four options based on knowledge and experience, but it's your interpretation of specifications on technical data, so that's following plans and design. Um, have you got good knowledge and experience of that? Uh, selection of protective devices, so that's your circuit breakers, RCBOs, and such. Um, you know, if you've got good knowledge of those, and also I would say with that, you know, you might as well familiarise yourself with some common maximum values of earth fault loop impedance for those particular things, just so you've got that in your mind as well. It's not actually part of that, but it will help you later on as well. Uh, installing protective potential bonding, so understanding what bonding is, how you install it, so you've got knowledge and experience of of that. Install and terminate PVC singles cable. So if you've got uh, knowledge of putting that in containment, for example, and then uh, the practical ability of installing it into containment. Uh, install and terminate PVC, PVC, multi-core and CBC cables. So that's your twin and F and flexes and such. Can you uh, install that and know how to install it? Install and terminate SY multi-flex cable. Uh, install and terminate heat flex. Install and terminate uh, XLPE SWA and install and terminate data cable, FP200, and uh, forming and installing 20 mil metal conduit, it says on here. So I'd said I thought it was PVC. It could be that there's um, some metal conduit works in there. Um, that's one to check out, actually. I'm going to have a look into that because I'm not sure. Next one is forming and installing 20 mil PVC conduit. Uh, install protective devices in a TP and N board. So that's a three-phase board. So that's one that some people might not be familiar with if you've been working in just a domestic environment, for example. So you need knowledge of how to put protective devices in three-phase boards um, and then how to actually do it as well. So install a two-way intermediate lighting circuit in PVC, PVC multi-core cable. So the knowledge of how you do it and then the practical ability to go off and do it. Install a BS1363 13 amp socket outlet uh, ring circuit in PVC singles cable. Uh, install a carbon monoxide detector. Safety circuit in FP200. Install data outlets in Cat5 cable. Install a BSEN60309 16 amp three phase and neutral socket outlet in XLPE steel armor cable. Now that's quite a specific one, isn't it? 
So that wants you to know how to install a BS60309 16 amp three phase and neutral socket outlet in XLPE steel wire armor cable. Uh, install protective equipotential bonding to gas and water services. Uh, connect a three phase direct online motor circuit in SY cable. And install an S-band central heating and hot water system with solar thermodable sustainable energy elements utilizing heat resistant flexible cable and PVC singles. So that's understanding some of the heating control plants. So well worth checking out some of those. And there's loads of um, sample diagrams that you can get on that. I've got folders full of them. So if anybody does want um, some copies of those, let me know and I'll um, get some over to you if I can. Section B is the inspection and testing one. So you undertake your risk assessment, uh, ensure the installation is correctly isolated, carry out your visual inspection as according the wiring regs and guidance note three, and then complete the relevant tests. And we've spoke about those before, so I'm not gonna run through all of that again, but you need to be stating if you have the right experience and uh, knowledge on those. Uh, verify the test results obtained and then complete an electrical installation certificate. Uh, again, it goes back to safe isolation. This is to really drum down into the importance of that, but carry out safe isolation in the correct sequence, carry out safe isolation uh, in the correct sequence on the single and three phase, and carry out safe isolation in the correct sequence uh, on a three phase distribution board rather than the circuit. Section D is fault diagnosis and rectification. So again, that's undertaking a risk assessment, uh, correctly identify and use tools, equipment and test instruments, carry out checks and preparations that must be completed prior to undertaking fault diagnosis, uh, identify faults from fault symptom information given by the examiner. So they're gonna be kind of acting like the customer telling you what's wrong. So you need to be able to kind of drill down into that and um, you know have a good starting point in your investigation. So state and record how the identified faults can be rectified. And just speaking about that actually, where it says here about identify faults from the fault symptom. We spoke about that on the podcast and the guys, Neil and Rick said, whatever you do, totally ignore whatever the occupant is telling you. And that is so true actually out in the real world because they can they can mislead you. Um, I've been on so many faults where somebody's like said, oh yeah, the sockets are tripping out and nothing's changed really. There's nothing that I can think of that's happened, blah, blah, blah. And then you run around going through the fault process and find what was wrong. And yeah, they'll say, oh, actually, yeah, I do remember that they did have some... Uh, building work done the other week and the joiner did say that he thought he might have hit a cable there for example suddenly their memory memory is jogged so you know take it with a pinch of salt but when you're in your am2 absolutely listen to the assessor because they'll be giving you some big clues on where you need to be looking uh, section e assessment of applied knowledge and that's your one hour multi-choice exam it's based on health and safety the wiring regs building regs and your inspection testing and fault finding and then it says here you have to sign at the end so behaviors are assessed throughout the apprenticeship as part of your level three qualification and the following statement should be signed by the candidate's employer so the candidate needs to sorry the candidate's employer needs to be happy with this that you've consistently demonstrated the following behaviors so you work reliably and effectively without close supervision so you should be at the stage now where you can go off and do things without having someone on your shoulder that you accept responsibility for the work of that you've done and of others uh, that you accept um, allocate and supervise technical and other tasks. Uh, you use oral, written and electronic methods of communication of technical or other information. Uh, that doesn't count work in Instagram and TikTok. Work effectively with colleges, other trades, clients, suppliers and the public. Undertake work in a way that contributes to sustainable development and maintain and enhance competence in uh, your own area and exercise responsibility in an ethical, manage uh, ethical manner. And then your employer will sign it. Um, and then you need to identify some further knowledge or experience that's required. So it gives you a section on there where uh, the candidate requires further knowledge, in, further knowledge in. So you can kind of write down the things that the forms told you. Same with the experience. So you know where you need to go off and um, try a bit harder to, to build that level of competence up, if you like. It says here, all apprentices must take an independent assessment at the end of the training to confirm that they have achieved occupational competence, which is your AM2. So this is asking your training provider to um, sign on this as well. So the apprentice's training provider confirms that you've received the training that you need off the job experience and development as specified within the apprenticeship standards. So they're saying that you've had all that knowledge put into you, so they do have to sign this as well. And then you have to sign it at the candidate also. Um, 
and again the employer's got to sign on there too and it says here once you've completed and signed the checklist please submit it to your chosen assessment center for gateway approval uh, checklist sent to nethead office will not be reviewed and be destroyed so don't send it to them send it to the center and again that's an 11 page document you really need to go off onto the net website check all of these things out so that's netservices.org.uk forward slash am2 and there is videos on there as well there's a help and advice section uh, all sorts of stuff that you can um, you can get help with so make sure you are going off and reading that so i'm just going to span over to the videos page myself and see what's on there right now and there's quite a few actually so you've got quite a few um, videos on there that you can flick into and um, follow through so there's here where there's an am2 top tips fault diagnosis and rectification and again they're not going to tell you how to do these things but you'll get a look at what a typical am2 booth looks like um, you've got some safe isolation tips some tips with inspection and testing some fault finding tips uh, assessment of applied knowledge and then it tells you what actually is the am2s or am2 um, so there's loads of stuff on there go and have a look if you haven't already well worth spending a bit of time on that anyway i've massively overrun on this episode because i've tried to cram in as much as i can on that because i know a lot of you are about to head back into college over the next week or so you might be getting these checklists filled in by your lecturers and by your employers and trying to get on with your training and get finished hopefully as we're all kind of moving back towards more normal times please dear god let that be true the pubs must open and soon kids back in school yes please so you need to be um, getting on with this. I'm trying to step this up and get all this information out there as quickly as possible. I've dumped those three or four podcasts out there talking about inspection and testing, and that's just me waffling away about Guidance Note 3. Might be useful, might be not. And again, this is a, a waffle away about the uh, NET website and basically your uh, preparation checklist and pre-assessment. So get over onto that NET website, check it out yourself. Thanks very much for listening to me waffling away. Please like, um, I don't think you can like on a... Maybe you can actually in a podcasting format. You might be able to, but I probably won't see them because I use Podbean. Uh, but give us a, a message on Instagram or something to say that you've listened or found it useful so I know people are hearing this and it's of benefit. If it is, I'll keep some other content coming as well. And um, if it's of use, we'll find some other topics to cover. If there's specific things you want me to speak about, happy to do so. The guests are going to keep coming in more normal fashion throughout the, the course of the Apprentice One to One podcast. We've still got people coming on to speak with about that um, but this was really kind of trying to get information into your ears and uh, having uh, people enter into discussion about stuff sometimes diverts away from the actual core topic we're trying to cover so you know hopefully that's worked thanks very much for listening and i will catch you all on the next one good luck in your am2s if you are going off to do it let me know how you've got on speak to you all again soon